Hold the Line with Mike Solon is sponsored by Heart to Heart Medical Supply. Heart to Heart is an American company offering FDA-registered respirator masks at the lowest prices. Heart to Heart offers free, same-day shipping, and by using the promo code HOLD20 at checkout, you can save 20% off your entire order. Visit hearttoheart.com. That's H-A-R-T, the number two, H-A-R-T, dot com. Hearttoheart.com. Hey, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. Today is a special day as I have on this show a man who, in my opinion, is uh, is a national treasure. And I don't say that lightly. I think that this guy is uh, is a hero because he goes into the dark places that I've referred to as far as police officers are concerned when we go down those dark alleys and um, we try to protect the public. And this individual is an independent journalist with an impeccable record who is extraordinarily accurate in his reporting. And yet he is faced with so much hatred and violence against him personally and smear campaigns and cancel culture. And yet he stands there, continues to work and carry on with what drives him. And the drive is getting information out to the public about people that are looking to, not looking, actually doing violence via political ideology. He has written a book called Unmasked. It's going to be coming out in early February. You can find it in local bookstores that are brave enough to carry it. As we're already seeing in Portland, there was one bookstore where there were protests that pressured that company to not have the book sold at that establishment. It shows you what we're up against here what the reasonable communities are up against via a group that is well-organized, committed to their narrative, their propaganda, to destroy the current American system. And the epicenter is here in Seattle and Portland. The book's unmasked. Andy No is on the show. So without further ado, Andy No. Here, this far, no farther. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish. Not a fight. No hate, no fear. They began shouting. Before I made it much farther, someone or something hit me hard in the back of the head. I was nearly knocked to the ground from the impact. Never having been in a fight, I naively asked myself in the moment, did someone just trip and fall into me? Before I could turn around to look, a sea of bodies dressed in black surrounded me. In the background, I could still hear the crowd chant, no hate. Ironically, all I saw next and felt was pure embodiment of hatred. Staring at an amorphous mob of faceless shadows, I froze. Suddenly, clenched fists repeatedly struck my face and head from all directions. 
My right knee buckled from the impact. The masked attackers wore tactical gloves, gloves hardened with fiberglass on the knuckles. It's likely some of them used brass knuckles as well. I put my arms up to surrender, but this only signaled them to beat me more ferociously. Someone then snatched my camera, my evidence. I desperately tried but failed to hold on to it. The masked thief melted into the crowd, a function of the black block. Another person ran up and kicked me twice in the groin. Someone bashed me on the head from behind with a stiff placard or sign. The attack left me dazed and bloodied. I was bleeding from my ear, and I had open gashes all over my face. My eyes were beginning to swell with blood. I thought the beating was over, but next came the hailstorm of milkshakes, eggs, and other hard objects at my face and head. The mob roared in laughter as I stumbled away. A crowd of cameramen surrounded and followed me. I thought they were going to offer to help, but they just took photos and video. Effing owned, bitch, shouted a local transsexual Antifa militant and member of the satanic Portland antifascists. I walked away, half-blinded, to the county courthouse across Lonesdale Square before losing my balance. Later in the emergency room of the Oregon Health and Science University Hospital, I found out my head, my brain, was hemorrhaging. And that's just a brief excerpt of a fantastic book coming out soon from an impeccable journalist named Andy No, And the book is called Unmasked. Andy, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. You know, when I'm going through your book, um, to me as being a police officer in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, and given the riots this past summer, but more importantly, the groups that are causing this type of disorder, you are what I appear as being the only voice or true journalist following what's going on in the Pacific Northwest and across our nation with Antifa. Can you describe to us, and I know you've done this on many podcasts. I saw you on the Joe Rogan Experience. It was a great, you did it in July of 2019 when you broke down your work. If you wouldn't mind just talking about why you're doing this and why it's so important. And more importantly, let's get into what was the cause to write Unmasked? I, be, I started off in journalism uh, with, at the student publication at Portland State University when I was doing my graduate studies. And at that time, um, it was months before the November 26th election. And um, on that night of the election, I was on assignment to cover the re- reactions in Portland, which uh, devolved up into one night of riots, but several days arrived by people on the far left who could not accept the results of a democratic election. And that was the first time I came face to face with mass black bloc militants who 
what I witnessed were in a coordinated fashion targeting specific businesses, properties, uh, government buildings with weapons and tools and starting fires on the street. Um, those three days were quite shocking to me. Um, of course, fast forward now to 2020 and experiencing over 120 days and nightly recurring riots in Portland, like it, everything just pales in comparison to what happened just months ago. Um, but I was motivated to really continue writing about this violent extremist movement known as Antifa because the coverage from the local journalists, which then informed the national press, um, in my view, was quite appalling in that there was really no um, analysis um, into what these groups were actually advocating for. The headlines would just have you believe that these were um, people who are anti-fascists who are out to oppose white supremacy and neo-Nazism. Um, but instead, what I was witnessing was a really indiscriminate use of terroristic tactics against other citizens, as well as government um, institutions, law enforcement, property. And also the ideology, as I was diving deeper and deeper into it, this anarchist communist ideology was really extreme, radical, I mean, revolutionary, calling for the overthrowing of the U.S. government, destroying the United States as a country itself. And um, it's been a heavy weight to bear to be one of the few lone voices in media who focus on Antifa as a beat. Um, and because there aren't very many of us doing this, it made me a target. You read from the beginning of uh, my book, Unmatched, and it led to me being beaten by them in the streets of downtown Portland in, in the summer of 2019, um, with an eyesight of the Justice Center, ironically, right by the Central Police Precinct. But I, di I didn't get any help that day, and we're now in 2021, and there still hasn't been a single person arrested, uh, much less charged. Um, and I think last year when the DOJ described um, parts of America re referencing Seattle and Portland as essentially anarchist jurisdictions, um, I don't think that was hyperbole. I know the left had lampooned that quite a bit. But when you live here and you see how over and over people can get away with carrying out acts of organized political violence on the streets, even when they're arrested, their charges as a matter of policy are immediately dropped. That law enforcement could be so um, viciously attacked. Uh, and then the, the response from those uh, from the district attorney or those in city councils to condemn law enforcement. Um, these are essentially areas in the country where the rule of law has broken down. I know you've talking about that a lot. And I'm really thankful for this opportunity to be speaking with somebody, one, who's in law enforcement, and two, who is actually living and working in the Pacific Northwest. Because being here in these major cities in the Pacific Northwest, people don't realize how bad it is until you're, like, actually here. Well, and I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, that, that's... That's why I'm so drawn to your work because you had mentioned that you were you're almost the lone voice on a beat covering Antifa. Um, and 
I'm perplexed as to why that is, as, as far as why does media, and we can refer to it as legacy media or traditional media, localized that influences the national media talking points. To me, what you're doing is more courageous than I can portray in words to you because you are standing in the breach of pure fascism and from people who are intent on killing people to push a political ideology through violence. And you've experienced that violence. And to me, that is pure journalism. I don't have a journalistic background. I have a police background. And I'm protected by my equipment, my training, my experience, my backup of fellow officers who swore an oath of service to protect the citizens of Seattle. And as police officers, we swear to an oath to protect everyone, even people that hate us. And we would give our lives to, to those people if need be. However, when I look at you, there's no oath. There is a drive and will in you that is circumvents, that circumvents rational thinking because most people would just shy away and not confront this. I think what you're doing is more courageous than people realize. And you almost lost your life of it. And you are continually being threatened. And so I commend you, sir. And um, the book is incredible. Um, so as I go through the book, it um, you basically break down Antifa through history, documents. It truly is unmasking them, that organization. And as a lot of the politicians in the nation claim that Antifa is not as organized as people claim it is, you, in the book, obviously highlight that indeed they are. You want to break down some of how Unmask reveals some of the key players behind the movement and strategy as far as recruiting, training, and how they radicalize followers to gain more influence across not only just Pacific Northwest, Seattle, and Portland, which seems to be the epicenter, but more importantly, across major urban areas across the United States. Yeah, I think um, the the most shocking information that I that I came across uh, primary documents that are then published and unmasked is um, I've been leaked documentation from Rose City Antifa, which is the largest and oldest Antifa organization in the U.S. And in these documents, you can see how they actually recruit new members, how they radicalize them, how they vet them. And the extremist literature that they expose them to, the, meet, the secret meetings that they have, um, it dispels this lie that we've been told that there is no Antifa, organiz- that Antifa is not an organization. I think um, it's much, is worse than that. They're not a single organization, but rather networks of many, many organizations who are decentralized yet sharing in a common ideology to destabilize the U.S., to delegitimize America's founding ideals, and to do this through acts of violence. Um, And I think um, Portland and Seattle, more than any other places, have experienced what happens when you turn a blind eye to this violent extremist movement 
Um, I, I really uh, am not overstating it when I say that Portland was a city that was under siege, and I would say it still is, and that law enforcement in Portland has been hemorrhaging in that it's, it had already been at very low levels for the size of the city. On top of that, officers have been resigning, transferring to other cities, different departments, and people are taking, and officers are taking uh, early retirement. So there's just, even if there was a will to respond to the political violence on the streets, there really just is not the resources to do so. So... Um, we've had skyrocketing violence in Portland, homicides, shootings. Um, it's really parts of it have turned to a first world slum. And this is taking place in the context of businesses and families being devastated by the political decisions that were made in response to the coronavirus as well. So all of this is coming together to really create um, this really destabilized government. Like the mayor himself was recently assaulted when he was eating out, eating out um, by some Antifa militants that I identified. So it's like they these extremists they have no fear because they really some of them can literally be arrested seven eight times and get all the charges immediately dropped. Um, I try my best to keep uh, the, uh, the public aware of what's going on by going through the hard process of requesting these public records. Fortunately, my state, Oregon, still allows us to get the booking photos. I've tried to do that in Washington state, and I can't get the names usually, much less the booking photos because of some laws that you have there. Um, so there's just a lot of ignorance in the public. I don't blame them about... Uh, uh, about Antifa because you're not being told much about it in the legacy media uh, by paper records and the local publications will whitewash them. I, I think usually out of, um, because there's sympathy for okay, well, yeah, what just, these extremists are doing. Gonna, I was just going to ask you like, why is that the case? Because what you're describing in Portland is exactly what's happening in Seattle as far as people being arrested, but yet they're not, the second step of that is outside the scope of police that's put into the hands of the prosecutors, whether it's the county prosecutor or it's the city attorney. And nine times out of ten, the people that are arrested don't seem to be held accountable for their criminal actions. And so you mentioned it's sympathy and the fact that the information is getting out there. And in Unmasked, your book, you put a big spotlight on this. And I'm curious as to why their actions, and just the group in general, as far as sympathy is concerned, why is it whitewashed? Why are they, why are they, and, and they is a broad term. I would, I would more equate it to politicians and then more activists, but why is there this lack of sharing of information, and why is there so much scrutiny against you because you're doing the heavy lifting as a pure journalist that seems to get the scoop more often than not with very accurate results over the legacy media. I mean, you're doing what a journalist should do without fear of retribution. I think on one level, it's as simple as people actually thinking that Antifa is simply a movement of people who are anti-fascist and that Black Lives Matter is simply an organization calling for uh, 
justice for uh, black Americans. Uh, neither one is what they actually claim to be. It's a simple branding and marketing trick. Um, you know, right before our eyes, we're being fooled into thinking that people who kill, set fires, destroy, intimidate, harass, threaten, that these are actually the good guys simply because they claim to be doing it for the cause of social justice. Um, and I've been smeared as somebody who, the, the logic that's coming out from some of my detractors is if you're against Antifa, that means you're pro-fascism. If you're against Black Lives Matter, um, that means you're a racist against blacks rather than, as I outline in the book, like the ide- ideology of, uh, of Antifa's anarchist, co- radical, violent anarchist communism, the ideology of Black Lives Matter from statements from the three women who founded it. Uh, it's a revolutionary Marxist movement from its conception and founding. That's why both of these movements venerate murderers and terrorists and those enemies of the U.S. who have found refuge in Cuba and other countries, cop killers. Um, That's because that's what they want. That's part of their ideology. Um, And I think um, your deeper question is how, why do they have sympathy wider because of that? Um, One, ignorance, but two, there's just been um, there's been many intellectuals who have just been pointing out that there's been a capturing of all of our institutions by the far left, particularly in the ideology and theories that they preach, particularly critical race theory. Um, and they preach that America is an imperialistic state that is evil, that capitalism is tied to white supremacy and slavery and racism, um, that property rights is in uh, property rights is also tied to racism and white supremacy. All of this, so it's all about. It's not just self critique, but it's actually about uh, deconstructing and destroying and undoing society as whole, so that they cr- create a new world. And in in the words of Antifa, they believe they can actually create a utopia. But as we've seen with our own eyes, when they have actually seized territory, which they have in Seattle and Portland, Seattle is quite extraordinary in that they got that, a chunk of an area near downtown for more than three weeks. What happens is immediately you have people who rise up as sort of warlord figures. You have warring factions. You have a hard border that was set up, armed by so-called volunteer militias who were carrying rifles and other weapons. Uh, and holding people who live there hostage. That's what they did, and they were allowed to do that by um, a mayor who even described the whole situation as uh, a summer of love. Um, In Portland in December, when they seized territory for six weeks, they actually, in addition to doing what the people at Chaz did uh, earlier in the year, they set up booby traps in the street of North Portland, a residential area where people and families live. Like what kind of what kind and of this, what kind of booby traps? So they had stockpiles of weapons on the ground, like bottles that were filled with who knows what rocks, um, spikes on the streets, so that you could not police could not drive through there because the tires would be immediately slashed. So there were blades and sharp objects all over the streets 
And is are the residents in those areas, the public, are they are they trying to voice their concern to their political elected leaders, or are they are they more scared for their safety if they speak out? They're terrified. There have been some businesses in the Capitol Hill area who have voiced their concerns in a letter, and the response from Antifa then was to publish the names and addresses of these business owners so that they could be targeted, and they have been targeted. The businesses have been smashed up multiple times in Capitol Hill, even after Charles was dismantled. Similar things have happened in Portland when uh, Antifa really defend their territories and the city um a few months ago um has a long-standing contract with a private cleaning business that essentially removes tents and clears it of biohazards and antifa's response on one night was to go smash up that business and to leave their extremist messaging on it so it's it's terrorism against citizens and they're allowed to do it um really with the support of the wider left um, just because they claim that they're doing it for racial justice and for social justice. And sometimes I feel like I'm living uh, in a topsy-turvy world through the looking glass of, like, this violent extremism is so blatant and so obvious, they don't even hide it. You listen to what they say, they call for the killing of their political opponents, they call and advocate every hour of every day for the killing of law enforcement, and yet they are portrayed as righteous, moral people that we should look up to. And at some point, that's going to have to turn. And I think in your book, Unmasked, it lays it out succinctly. I mean, you, you, you do a great job. And you, have a, you mentioned Chaz, Chop, Chop, what it was called earlier. Um, and this is another, another excerpt of your book. We need more people with guns at the Chaz, tweeted Seattle Antifascists. That tweet received hundreds of retweets. Many of those who showed up wore patches to signal they were a part of the Puget Sound John Brown, uh, excuse me, John Brown Gun Club. The far-left militia-type organization is named after radical slavery abolitionist John Brown. Is it a regional offshoot of the Redneck Revolt of far-left militia? Conservative investigative media group Project Veritas infiltrated the North Carolina chapter of the Redneck Revolt in 2018. An undercover journalist caught the group preparing for revolutionary, revolutionary armed conflict. These groups provide volunteer armed security for Antifa and BLM events. In 2019, a member of the John Brown Gun Club carried out a firebombing attack on an immigration and customs enforcement ICE facility in Tacoma, Washington. He was killed by police. So the, the, the group is linked to violent extremism. Um, you mentioned Utopia, and Chaz was that Seattle Utopia for three weeks in that failed experiment. And yet our political leaders tried to whitewash it, obviously. And the result is, in your book, you claim the violent crime that plagued that area of the city, a six-block area of the city where police were not allowed, where reasonable residents could not go about their daily lives without feeling uh, terrified. Um the victims of that crime that occurred within the Chaz failed experiment were African-Americans. And you break it down. Yeah, for this is the, the sick irony of the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. It was created as a sovereign separate 
city state from the United States and uh, based on the ideology that black lives matter and that we value black lives here. Yet what happened there was it ended up with a 100% black homicide rate, not 100% black victim shooting rate as well. Um, and in addition to those shooting crimes, there was also an attempted rape. There was, I was there on one of the nights that um, somebody tried to set the um, East Precinct on fire. Um, it was more. It was worse than dystopian because I was there undercover, and at night it was to be in front of the Seattle Police East Precinct and seeing it boarded up in the area around it, run by street thugs essentially uh who had cocooned themselves with the border and police not able or willing to go in um the variables that allowed for chaz to happen are still all there on this whole um belief that it's because to oppose the fascist trump administration was always a pretext which is why um in since uh, New Year's Eve in Portland, there's been more than five riots alone. Um, there's been riots in Seattle. Um, and we're speaking um, hours after what occurred in, in your city as well as mine, where on Inauguration Day, uh, violent extremists who had organized on encrypted chat channels and then publicly advertised their riots on Twitter and other uh, big te- big social media platforms got people together to carry out acts of violence on property, uh, starting fires in the street. I think seeing video, particularly in, in Seattle, of militant Antifa in their black uniforms marching into the Pike Place Market and smashing up tourist spots that I've gone to as a tourist and that thousands of people go to uh, every day norm- under normal times just to see like this breakdown of uh, law there uh, in Portland. They actually smashed up and destroyed the headquarters of the, um, the Democrat- Democratic Party of Oregon office. Um, and then they tried to launch a coordinated attack on the ICE facility later that night. So in your book, you mentioned um, Antifa and black block can you can you break down for the viewership and the audience that are listening either on any podcast platform or on youtube what's the difference between or is there a difference between antifa and black block why why did they why did they use black clothing uh as 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 a symbol or a uniform if you will so the black block is actually a tactic and strategy that is used, can be used really by any group of people, but it's used most infamously by Antifa because that's consistently how they organize around and they've actually adopted it as sort of their unofficial uniform. But it's dressing head to toe in black and wearing black masks. So before COVID forced masks on all of us, I mean, that, that stood out quite a bit in public areas. But they do that for the purposes of um, group unity, solidarity, and knowing like who else is there to support them. And two, it's primarily so that they can carry out acts of um, criminality and be able to melt back into a crowd and where everybody looks the same and to make it extremely hard for investigators to um, 
arrest the right person, much less um, provide the evidence that will lead to successful prosecution. Um, Yesterday uh, at the riot in Portland, at the inauguration day riot in Portland, after the mob had smashed up one of the buildings, um, according to one of the journalists on the ground, they went under um, this large truck and squatted and quickly took off their black block clothing to change into different things and different masks. Um, and so they're evolving their tactics because they realize that, um, you know, even, you know, a good investigator can pick out small certain things on somebody's outfit, even if they dress very similar, similarly. And now they're bringing different clothing to try to counter that. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's, uh, but like the sight of the plaque block itself is also terrifying and intimidating. That's one reason why they and terrorists around the world use it. You can think of IS, you can think of terrorists that were connected to uh, the IRA and others, this adoption of the balaclavas and all black. Um, it's meant to intimidate in addition to evade detection by law enforcement. Yeah, so, you know, you know, we got into, well, not you, but me, I got into a bit of a controversy when I retweeted you when I weighed into the national political events that sadly occurred in D.C. on the 6th, where you retweeted the verifiable fact that there was another activist outside the scope of what legacy media was telling people who was responsible for that sad attack in our nation's history. Um, and I equated it to policing, as you mentioned, the IRA, but Northern Ireland, um, the, with the police services of Northern Ireland that are there trying to maintain order for hundreds of years between two, two factions that are trying to push an ideology through political violence. And um, that reminds me of what we're experiencing here and obviously not to that degree, but it could be, be become that way with policing in this nation. And as in Seattle and Portland are concerned, we're on the front lines of this, this Antifa ideology, if you will, this political violence. And that seemed to have really maybe made a lot of people, not maybe, I know, made a lot of people upset because it, it appeared as if the media spun it against me for simply retweeting you that I might have been blaming BLM for that Capitol Hill situation, which was not the case. What is the difference? And you, you mentioned in your book, an Unmasked, what's the difference between Antifa and BLM? Because when I speak to some BLM activists here in this city, it's almost they they're upset that Antifa seems to have stolen that message. But yet in terms of in your book, you describe it as that that message between BLM, what they're trying to push for social justice, is in fact being used by Antifa or sympathizing with one another to push that political ideology. Yeah, so, well, first, you know, I saw how you were smeared and the... Uh, reputational attacks against you um, as that was happening. I had obviously a lot of sympathy for you because I have experienced that myself where people intentionally infer things uh, into statements or tweets that are not there. 
my post was an empirical claim. This individual under this name from Utah who had these charges that a riot last year and he has made these statements that show that he's from the far left and calling for political violence for the far left. He was one of the people inside the Capitol Hill siege. That was a statement I made uh, essentially in the tweet. He retweeted that with some um, of your comment, and you didn't say anything about equating one or the other. This person, uh, we're talking about John Sullivan. He was subsequently um, arrested when he returned to Utah uh, for his uh, alleged involvement in the Capitol Hill siege. So we'll see what what will happen. I think it was just, you know, if we're... If the, if the media and everybody was really interested in identifying every single individual who was seen in these uh, videos and photos um, during that siege, then actually I try to identify everybody. That includes people that uh, may fit your narrative and may not. In the case of John Sullivan, it did not. He was very. He is a very prominent radical BLM activist from Utah who's been involved in a riot allegedly involved in a riot where there was a shooting before, and he has pending charges over that. He's been to D.C. a lot. He's given really extremist speeches in BLM Plaza in D.C. So I think that's important. Um, that, at the same time, doesn't doesn't mean that it was a secret Antifa who were carrying out the riots. I never speculated recklessly about that, and neither did you. So uh, everybody... You know, it was just looking for, I mean, people have been looking for an excuse to harm you, and any excuse to harm you. They showed up, showed up at your home, they showed up at my, ho- at my home. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's to them, it's small change to um, essentially lie or spread misinformation about an individual to try to harm them either professionally or get them kicked out and canceled. Um, yeah, because, so you, you yeah, know, I don't yeah. want to, I don't, don't want to come across as a victim, but. You know, lesson learned on my part, I have to stick with Seattle issues because I, I represent 1,300 men and women of the Seattle Police Officers Guild, the cop line officers and sergeants that work the street. So lesson learned on my part that if I step into the national conversation, that was a sad day in our nation's history. It's probably not my lane. I own that. But what I find just troubling is people using that as an opportunity to, like you mentioned, try to cancel people just for having an opinion. Um, and I've, I've seen media try localized and national try to equate you as being fringe. And that's a way to box you in a certain category. Um, and it, I think it more so spawns or, or goes back to what we previously talked about is your work as a journalist and the sympathy related to a social justice movement as being used to cover up for political violence, in my view, would you would you agree with that? That 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 media doesn't want to highlight this, and they want to just malign or box independent journalists who are usually get the scoop on mainstream media all the time, which you've you've impeccably done with great precision. Um, would you agree with that, that they're just trying to box you in and, and silence you and bully you, just like the anti-fascists are trying to use violence against you to shut you up? Yeah, they've actually destroyed the reputations of many, many people on lies. Um, they tried to do it against me, but I persevered. And just with my own background, as and I write about this in the book, as um, being the child of refugees um, uh, from Vietnam, um, being gay, 
um, it makes it much harder for my detractors to just basically smear me as a white supremacist. Um, I've seen other people who happen to be white and who are not far right get smeared with that. And then as a result, because of that, I mean, everybody is just, nobody has time to dig into all, you know, every accusation. Is it true? Is it false? But, you know, these labels, you sling the worst, hoping that something sticks. And some, and oftentimes it does. Um, you know, I dealt with, um, I mean, if you, you know, if you Google me, if you go to my Wikipedia, you just see this echo chamber of the people who are referencing opinion pieces from far left journalists who hate me and using that as evidence um, that these accusations somehow have merit. Of course, you know, I still work in mainstream publications or I'm a contributor to the New York Post. I've written for the Wall Street Journal before. I've done news reports for Newsweek. Um, my reporting has then been featured um, uh, on Fox News and other places. So it's like when people actually look into these accusations against me, they're false. Um, but most people just don't have the time for that. It's much easier to Wikipedia somebody's name, you see the first thing, or you Google their name and you see the first headline and just go, oh, you know, this person's a toxic personality. Hold the Line with Mike Solon is sponsored by StopDefunding.com. The senseless trend of defunding police departments must be stopped. Over 200,000 reasonable citizens have already signed our petition, and we need your help. Visit StopDefunding.com and add your signature to help us protect public safety. Now more than ever, our voices must be heard. Speak up at StopDefunding.com. So Andy, in your book you mentioned Antifa and then BLM. Um, and I, my previous question to you, you know, I've talked with BLM activists who see that movement as just pure social justice trying to fight for um, African-Americans through um, because they're tired of, uh, I guess, police violence. And one of them in particular I had on this podcast was just disheartened by the fact that Antifa or black, black people in Seattle were stealing that BLM message. And is is that is that a proper way of looking at it, or is it is it more more involved with those two groups, or is there just certain factions within BLM that align themselves with Antifa, and why are the why are those two married together, if you will? They cross pollinated each other exceptionally well in 2020, and I, by the way, I have a lot of sympathy and compassion for people who. Um, who may not be aware of what BLM actually advocates for and thinks that they, they just want to get involved in a movement that is for racial justice and they don't like what they're seeing with Antifa. But actually, if you dive into the things that um, BLM, ha- the things they call for, they call for essentially ending the American criminal justice system. So it's very extreme stuff. You look at the people that they've venerated at some of their events, and by them I'm referring to the leaders, founders of the group. People that they venerate are like Asata Shakur, who killed a state trooper and became a fugitive and fled to Cuba to get asylum from that communist government. When um, And she's still on the FBI's most wanted list. So you look at all that and you realize this is not... Uh, the organization itself is not really has not very much to do with 
racial justice. It's about revolutionary Marxism. And that's why they've so you have easily married together with Antifa. The the goals of these two movements ultimately are different. Antifa advocate for um, the abolishment of governments and all that, whereas in my view, BLM's founders and thinkers really seem to be more along the classic line of Marxists who are trying to create a vanguard and create to create a communist government essentially. Um, but uh, for now, I mean, they, sh- they have a mutual enemy in not just law enforcement, but also the founding ideals of the United States itself. So um, it's why, you know, there are groups like BLMTC, which is the largest official chapter of the group, and they actually will have promoted events for Antifa. I document that in, in the book. Um, and so you can't really, at this point, detach one movement, one organization from the other, in my opinion, because um, they're working together to destabilize local jurisdictions. So back to your book. Um, soon the mob made it to the police union hall, and we're referencing Portland. They first erected a barricade on North Lombard, a busy North Portland street, using stolen dumpsters and fences from nearby businesses. They then set it on fire. As in downtown, they destroyed the security cameras around the police association building. Before midnight, they smashed their way into the front of the building and set the interior on fire. Their goal, as they have always stated, was to burn down police and government facilities. And so we experienced, that, we experienced that here at the Seattle Police Officers Guild building where they firebombed us and they marched on us in September with Molotov cocktails. And it seems to be the same tactic, obviously, being done in Portland. But what, when I view both Portland Antifa and Seattle Antifa, it, it appears that, and you lay it out in your book Unmasked, that Portland seems to be the epicenter for, for this Antifa uh, movement, if you will, where they have thousands of people. And I, I would equate Antifa here in Seattle to being maybe the minor leagues compared to Portland. But the, but the two are aligned in with each other. Do you find that the violence that we've seen in both cities, are they the same actors that travel back and forth the I-5 corridor? Or is it more localized? Because you've been up here to Seattle. You, you, you went in, in deep into the Chaz at night doing investigative reporting before you were outed. Um, are they the same people? Because what I've seen on social media, especially on Twitter, and your Twitter is, is excellent. You've got great video. Um, there seems to be some significant players that travel from both cities. Absolutely. Uh, for when I was on the ground undercover in Chaz, actually, I recognized several people from the Portland Antifa scene. And um, some of these people, there was a person who was arrested um, at a riot last night who on her social media has pictures of her when she was inside Chaz. And this is normal. Um, Portland and Seattle being just three hours apart from one another um, and Antifa's numbers being relatively small, they do do 
cross-coordination within regions. Portland Antifa will go down to Eugene to support them. The Eugene Antifa will come up to Portland. They'll go to Salem, and of course they'll go to Seattle and Olympia as well. They cross state lines and go to different cities and all this. Um, when the Antifa uh, shooter in last summer, when he shot and killed the Trump supporter, um, and went on the run. He left Portland and went to a town nearby uh, Olympia, Washington. So um, they, and in addition to that, it's not just regional. There's been like groups of them who will go to D.C., such as um, some of them from Portland went all the way to Kenosha. Um, to support the riots there, there was a uh, in some one of the groups, the Antifa groups from Seattle had their vans uh, searched by law enforcement in Wisconsin and had some of their stuff confiscated and some of their members arrested um, during the uh, RNC uh, convention in D.C. Um, some of the Portland Antifa that I recognized and was able to identify came and were har- part of the people who were harassing um supporters of President Trump uh, after the convention as they were trying to walk home. What about the financing? Is, 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 there, a, is there a structure within Antifa that is, you know, we're always told to follow the money on things, mm-hmm. but they seem very strategic and their communication is very precise and strategic as well. Is there this overlord, if you will, of a financial uh, person or persons that uh, finance these groups across the nation, more so in Seattle and Portland? So by design, being so decentralized, there is no single overlord. I think um, that's one of the misconceptions out there is that there's some single Antifa leader who's providing the calls uh, as well as the funding. It doesn't work like that, actually. They How they get their money money and a lot of it is right in front of our eyes actually they use crowdfunding through sites like gofundme uh venmo and cash app so when i was in Chaz, for example the how a lot of them how they got their donations or the money to buy the things that they needed was through these cash apps that were set up anonymously and cash app and venmo makes it very easy for anybody to just open up an account Get lot, you know, get their name, username um, distributed within their networks and channels, and then a lot of money comes in. Um, we're not talking about insignificant amounts in Portland through GoFundMe, the jail fund for those who were accused of being involved in the riots and arrested and charged over them. That raised over one point three million dollars in. Um, Minnesota, the Minnesota Freedom Front Fund, which was promoted by uh, now Vice President Kamala Harris and people who worked on the Biden campaign, that pulled in $35 million. And these were paying bail for people who were charged with rioting, also accused of uh, attempted murder, accused of rape. So, like, the big tech is working hand-in-hand with um, these extremists and the extremists will actually just create front groups that will bypass some of the terms of service issues that they would otherwise run, uh, run up against. So for example, on GoFundMe, you're not allowed to actually fundraise for people who are, um, for the legal support of people accused of violent crimes. So what they do is they'll just create a new group 
you know, with some benign, boring name like uh, Freedom Fund or Justice Fund and pull in hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And as, as you are very well aware in these um, left-wing cities, a district attorney usually will um, drop most of the charges immediately. So the money gets returned anyways. And these people just reinvest it in other causes. And uh, with the Portland Bail Fund, for example, they were giving grants to other Antifa groups in different cities. Um, so the destruction is being uh, the destruction of the U.S. is being funded right before our eyes using um, using the the, fr- the fruits of capitalism. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, and and then, and of course they're saying that capitalism, and that's the irony here, right? And you laid out in your book and unmasked, but. You know, it's it's seems very very well orchestrated and structured, and you're right. They are using capitalist means in as far as the economy, and yet they're the ones that are saying that capitalism should be should be ended. So I find that ironic. And back to the book, unmasked. I was dazed and confused. Did this really had just happen? I thought to myself. I was also angry. Where were the police? Before the beating, I'd already reported two instances of assault by Antifa to law enforcement. While recording the demonstration earlier at Lones... Am I saying that right? Lonesdale Square? Is that correct? Lonesdale. Lonesdale, okay. A masked male had run up behind me and slammed a cup filled with a vicious white liquid on my head. One of the rally's organizers that day was Popular Mobilization, or Pop Mob, a new Antifa group. Pop Mob gave out what they said were vegan milkshakes. I saw their volunteers poured the drinks into paper cups for industrial buckets. From industrial buckets, the paper cup used to hit my head had the Iron Front's three arrows logo printed on it. I reported the assault to a nearby Portland police officer who stood watch at the, on the periphery. A stringer and friend from the Federalist News site who witnessed the incident photographed the suspect and pointed him out to police. The officer let me know that he could take a report, but would not approach or question the masked person. And you you've mentioned that police and correct me for wrong I don't want I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but the book is is again excellent unmasked get get on it when it's released um, it almost appears as if police are, are not sympathetic but yet they're almost powerless and they're powerless because of the lack of political support in whatever jurisdiction and I I can only equate that to because I want to stay in my lane here in public safety issues, because it's working condition issues. It's Seattle and Portland. Have you, obviously, yeah, you're, so obviously you're frustrated with police because it, 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 it appears we're feckless. Do you want to break that down a bit? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, my, my understanding uh, of these, these issues with policing has grown a lot in the time since my assault. Um, you know, when when the command gives a certain order to officers on the ground, they follow it. And if that means staying only within the periphery of uh, a protest area that has acts of criminality happening within, they will stay out there. They won't go in. Um, so they're, I guess you could say, just following rules as they are. Um, um, that's how they are trained to to do what to do that. Um, at the same time, I think I didn't. I didn't understand um, how important it is for law enforcement to have the political support of local officials in the city. Um, 
and seeing in Portland and Seattle, and let's just stick with Seattle for now, like seeing um, nobody on city council come out to condemn the violence that had happened against um, your colleagues um, in the SPD um, in Portland. We had somebody on city council actually um, talking about Joanne Hardesty. She actually put out a conspiracy theory on record in the Marie Claire magazine in an interview saying that she believed Portland police officers were in a conspiracy of starting arson attacks and blaming it on left-wing protesters. Like, you know, when you have elected politicians who are supposed to uphold the law of where they live, um, actually giving sort of tacit support to the violent criminals, like, that should be a scandal. And unfortunately, it's not. It's the, I mean, it's the issue of what happens when you have a political monoculture, which is the case in the, the cities in the Pacific Northwest. People don't, there's no counterpoise to really kind of moderate people. So they just go further and further more radical because they're constantly being pulled in one direction and there's no, nothing to really push them back. So well, it, 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 you know, it, it puts our political elected leaders in these cities in a tough spot now, because as we saw last night and, and you tweeted out the violence in Seattle where there was a mob of people, uh, conducting property damage again, doing their tactics, Black Bloc, Antifa at it again, and we saw it in Portland. And it's going to put our elected leaders in a tough spot because now since uh, there's a new administration, the Antifa is still doing what they want to do. They want to overthrow the system. And police are the only antidote to try to stop this political violence. And yet we don't have the support of our elected leaders like you just so eloquently uh, spoke of and you've laid it out in, in, in an un- unmasked your book. Um, I'm curious as to what the next play is by our political leaders, because cops are going to continue to be hurt, and good, reasonable citizens and journalists such as yourself who are, who are highlighting this, this violence um, are going to be looking for help. And we're losing officers by the droves because they don't have the support of political elected officials, all for the sake of racial justice. But yet, the groups that are pushing for racial justice, at least by Antifa's concerned, are doing it through violence. And so they're going to put them in a tough spot. So where do we go from here, man? What do we, what do, we do in the Pacific Northwest with Antifa and our elected leaders? What, what's going to need to happen for police to be able to do our jobs effectively to have that support? Is it going to come from the community? Or is the community too, too scared now to voice their displeasure? The community is scared, but they're also not properly informed on the threat of Antifa. So that's why what I do is important. And I don't mean just me, but there's other independent journalists and a few brave journalists in, in, in local media, legacy media, who highlight, um, I think, Como, KOMO in Seattle is, does really excellent reporting on what happens there. Um, but the populace isn't really aware of what the threat, the threat to society and our norms um, so there's ignorance on one level, of course, and there's just fear and intimidation as well, because you will be targeted with violence if you speak out. And particularly if you're a business owner that speaks out, 
your business will get destroyed. Um, I, I don't know what it will take for the people to wake up and realize and start demanding that their elected officials um, do what they've been elected to do. Um, you know, in some ways, you could look at this pessimistically as this is the logical consequence of bringing in, of electing people into government who, one, are spineless, and two, are just doing the will of the people. And there is a certain sizable constituency who is sympathetic to this left, far-left extremism. And that speaks volumes, I think, just to um, just transformation of society that's been happening over decades, particularly in, in academia, in education, in media, and entertainment, and journalism, and all that that has, like, just normalize certain tenets of the far left ideologies. Um, and we're, um, we're getting to the point where you've got to get going. Um, we've been at it for over an hour. Uh, your book unmasked is absolutely incredible. A couple more questions before, before you got to go. If police, what advice could you give police right now in this time, in this in this turbulent time frame in our nation's history, and particularly in the Pacific Northwest, where it's impacting Seattle and Portland? What what can we do, given what we just talked about and what's laid out in your book, Unmasked? I have a lot of sympathy for law enforcement right now. One, they're being attacked in every single direction, um, literally at times. Uh, they're being killed. Um, two, there's also, I also understand why many of them would be hesitant to, I guess, live up to the full scope of their oath if, for example, um, any time that there's a use of force against these rioters, the machine of the Antifa propaganda will mobilize to put out out-of-context clips, disinformation, to get these officers under these endless investigations that have really long consequences on their careers, their mental health, um, how it affects their family and all that. Um, so I guess what I would say, it, my, my message is really not to uh, the deep cops, those who are on the ground, but those in the command, um, the chiefs, um, and, and those who are the decision makers, like, I understand that their role is political, but like your your first and foremost job is to enforce public it's to uphold the law and to make sure that the public is safe. And um, is and at times I think that may mean standing up against do against I guess the political narrative, and that will come at a personal cost uh, cost. Example, for example, I think, um, you know, I uh, really liked um, the former police chief, Carmen Best. I thought that she was very consistent in her condemnation of what happened at Chaz and also expressing publicly and vocally her frustration, uh, I think, with city officials. Uh, the public needs to be aware of that. And I know a lot of these communications happen outside of the ears of the public, but like, for example, I would feel a lot better if I knew that, you know, the police chief and where I live 
didn't approve of what was happening on city council, what city council were doing and were not doing. Um, and also what you do, for example, the, the unions, you know, the union leaders have obviously much more um, ability to speak freely. And so those um, depletion union leaders seem to be brave in speaking out. And, you know, honestly, I don't really see too many who are like you, who take a lot of risk to their own reputation. Um, you have people show up outside your home. Um, a lot of police union leaders, like in my view, just really couldn't really be bothered with that level of stress. And so um, they remain relatively silent or they work entirely behind the scenes. Um, yeah, that's um, spot on, man. I think your analysis was great and it registers with me and I thank you for that. One last thing. Um, what can the public do? What can the public do to get this information out? Um, well, I think reading on mass is a good starting point. I wrote it in a way that makes it so that any reader who doesn't have much information on Antifa can understand it easily and understand it comprehensively as well in one source. Um, I think another thing is also um, to... You know, I want to say like grassroots organizing, but I just think any the the grassroots organizing that, that I've seen in Seattle and Portland, they get they become so demoralized by the vicious attacks that they're subjected to by militant activists as well as the media when they try to call for reasonable things like public safety and law and order. Um, I don't know. I guess. Yeah, you can probably hear my voice. I'm not particularly hopeful for everything that's happening on this lane. I think the start of 2021 is showing that this year isn't going to be much better than the last. Um, but I guess at the individual level, I would say be brave. Um, I think when you, when you I, I think you're yeah. right on. Be brave, and what uh, what's brave, man, is um, is your courage, your bravery, you going into the breach. You going in, getting getting into the the underground, and putting a spotlight on Antifa and how they're trying to take over our culture. They're trying to change our system, in particular in Seattle and Portland, which is the epicenter. And you've done the work. Your book, Unmasked, is incredible. It's filled with fantastic facts and just information that the public can consume. Now, the the issue is, is that they're trying to, from what I understand, just reading some things, they're trying to not have your book get out, to not be published, or to not have it sold in bookstores, or because they're, again, they're trying to suppress the information to get out, because this is a propaganda war. And um, your book is incredible. Um, how can people get a hold of your book and how can they spread that knowledge? What's the best way? Um, it's available wherever books are sold. Well, wherever most books are sold. Uh, Pals in Portland uh, preemptively made the decision that they won't stock it on the shelves following um, multiple days of uh, protests that shut down their business in downtown. Um, but it's uh, available, um, you know, any place, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, etc., I would say support your local bookstore, but um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of 
a lot of bookstores aren't even open because of COVID right now. So, um, but thank you so much for having me on to speak about this important subject and thank you for your advocacy also for the work that you do in representing um, the brave officers of the SPD. I think um, law enforcement around the country can really look up to uh, a leader like you and Hey, so in the age of COVID and some technological hurdles we had to overcome here on the podcast, but we were lucky enough to get Andy No, and we ran into some difficulties at the end of the show, but Andy was wrapping up the fact that he's going to continue to carry on with his message, and he's asking the public to be courageous, just like his work is courageous and the police are courageous. We must stand up to any form of political violence that is impeding our quality of life in the United States of America, in particular Seattle and Portland. And the way you can do that is get Andy's book, Unmasked, read it, get informed, and then pass that knowledge on to as many people as possible. Because if we don't get this information out there, this type of political violence will further the divide in our nation and hinder our ability to have that quality of life. And thus we will be ruled by indeed fascists. And the, as the police are there to protect you, if we do not have political support by our elected officials, then we'll be feckless. And as we've seen over the course of this summer with the race riots, policing has to adapt to the new narrative without the political support. And I'm not sure how much we can hang on because the vast majority of policing, in particular here in Seattle and Portland, as I know many officers there, were great human beings. And across the nation, I've done training across the nation and met countless, countless officers. We're great people. 99.9% of us are fantastic human beings that do the job of policing because we, we love to just help people. We love to serve. And the false narratives that are plaguing this profession, which isn't perfect, right? The profession isn't perfect. Obviously, there's a history there. We got to recognize that and we got to own it to be credible. But the false narratives that are continually being used by groups that are bent on destroying our republic need to stop. And that's why it's going to take police unions who are the only entity to push back on this because you're not going to see departments weigh in to the political fray because they can't. they got to stay neutral. And police unions... We have to stay neutral. We can't pick one side or the other. But what we can do is get into the politics as far as not being afraid to just speak truth. Stand up. Fill that breach. Just like Andy fills that breach of not many journalists covering what's going on with Antifa. The way you can get involved is to support cops. Period. Because if we don't have your support, we're useless. As now you can see the assaults on police unions. 
Because if they silence us, there's nothing left. Nothing. And then who will protect independent journalists who are doing the good work to highlight this threat against our society? It's already happening, people. You got to wake up. If you want to get in touch with me at Hold the Line with Mike Solon, you can reach me at contact at Hold the Line with Mike Solon. We need your help. You got to get involved. Spread this podcast. Get people informed. Be that reasonable activist. You got to. You got to get involved. Otherwise, and this isn't this isn't hyperbole or this isn't being alarmist, crime will eventually visit your doorstep, especially if police are continually silenced and canceled, as we're seeing the great men and women get canceled on a daily basis by, by unreasonable activists. And we don't have the political support because it's not politically expedient to do so. But just like we swore an oath to serve you, to protect your public safety. In my opinion, that oath also surrounds this conversation. It's another form of that service, is to get the truth out there, to push back against false narratives. I've always said, and I'm an optimist, I've always said that truth will always prevail even if it's a long road and it's a difficult road, if we stay committed to the truth, and what's right and what's virtuous with conviction, then in the end, truth will prevail. I'm there in the breach. The cops are there in the breach. Journalists like Andy Noah are in the breach with the book Unmasked. Get on it and read it. And we will continue to hold the line. Stay safe.